What does the future of reconciliation look like for Australia? First Nations peoples suffer from ongoing intergenerational trauma as a result of their interactions with colonialists. This has occurred through the genocide of initial colonisation, the active policies to enforce the dying out of culture and the sustained attempts to deny self-governance. In order to envisage a joint and reconciled future, this essay will start by analysing white culture, its governance structures and treatment of its own people in the environment in order to trace the origins of the violences encountered by the Aboriginal and Torres Strait peoples. There will be a similar broad stroke analysis of Indigenous governance institutions, relationship to land and relationship to each other. The essay will then analyse the deleterious impact white culture has had on Indigenous culture, unpacking sustained traumas compounded by social, political, economic and environmental policy structures before identifying opportunities for restorative reconciliation. The driving argument is that if First Nations people can be empowered to reclaim their culture and its institutions, it will not only provide a source of healing for their own communities in the environment, but will also provide a model of kind and sustainable living for ongoing, ongoing colonialist populations. Modern Australia has been lauded by economists Economists as being fair, prosperous and free, according to Ville and Withers' 2014 page A. This view is supported by a strong economic growth history steeped in agriculture and mining, Australia's land both rich in resources and ripe for exploitation, with this wealth hypothetically flowing from its economic structures to society, according to Madsen 2014. Behind this prosperity narrative lies a reality of environmental destruction, continued social inequity inequalities and native people dispossessed from their ancestral lands. Captain Cook first set foot in Botany Bay on April 29, 1770, according to YouTube Guru 2 2019, declaring it terra nullius and catalyzing the settlement of white convicts. Australia was treated as a dumping ground for British criminals. The society that was responsible for settling in Australia was an authoritarian one composed of strict hierarchical social structures based on democratic principles, Wensley 1999, page 11, and biblical morality. Robin Grill defines authoritarian uh, authoritarianism as one, non-negotiable power that exists by virtue of rank, two, discipline of infractions, and three, absolute control over behaviour enacted through a system of reward and punishment, Grill 2005, page 179. These modes of control, when used as a parenting style, have been shown to cultivate distrustful and defiant children who go on to later perpetuate social problems, according to Morale 2001, Gershoff 2002A and 2002B, Holden 2002, all cited by Grill 2005. Colonial Australia upheld its strict social order through punitive punishment systems. According to Fenane in 1991, the role of prisons is to reinforce civilization's penal power, providing a concrete symbol of the punitive power that the state has to enforce strictly defined law and order, forcing a submission of individual will. For example, en route to Australia and well into colonisation, forms of punishment such as flogging, whipping, confinement in irons, isolation and reduction of rations were used to control convicts. Upon arrival, the worst convicts were sent to work in high-risk salt and coal mines where many died, suffering from notoriously poor conditions, according to Demousy 1997, page 9. 
Modern neuroscience has found that early childhood exposure to violence can lead to neurotoxic cortisol being released within the brain's empathy centres, leading to cerebral cortical atrophy. According to Uno et al. 1994, citing Jensen, Genefke, Heidebrandt, Pedersen, Peterson and Well 1982, Gill 2005, Uno et al. 1994, Quinn et al. 2016, Shirtcliffe et al. 2009 and others. This diminishes individual capacity for compassion and supports the perpetuation of psychopathic-like constructs, for example, callousness in personality, according to Shirkliff et al. in 2009, all of which goes to support the disruptive impact authoritarianism has on an individual and societal level. With regards to how authoritarianism informs the structure of colonialist societies, Scott describes fixed field grain farming as being a direct product of needing to grow cereals that a tax collector would find easily quantifiable, i.e. they grow above ground and they ripen simultaneously. He further goes on to describe the negative side impacts of settled agriculture, such as diseases born of overcrowding both of people and livestock, flooding from the stripping of watersheds and soil salinization, according to Scott 2017. Lastly, Scott makes the argument that hunter-gatherer lifestyle requires much greater cognitive resources. In contrast to the agricultural functioning or fixed farming of white society, there is substantial evidence of Aborigines managing the land and its ecosystems through use of fire, time to the cycles of the seasons and various fauna and flora, according to Australian story 13th of April 2020. For the Bruce, Bruce Pascoe's groundbreaking book Dark Emu describes anthropological evidence of nomadic indigenous agriculture composed of building dams and wells, planting, irrigating and harvesting seed, preserving salt surplus and storing it. 2014, page 12. Where Wensing, 1999, page 12, describes Anglo-Australian law and custom as being a sovereign government based on democratic principles, underpinned by a written tradition, statute law and a market economy, Indigenous law and customs is vastly different. Transmitted through oral traditions incorporating dance and storytelling, the societal structures are based on mutual obligation and reciprocity with a complex kinship system replacing the need for a market economy. Indigenous societies are strictly structured, with laws, customs and traditions dictating the correct conduct to country and to kin, Wensing 1999, page 11. Elders are the custodians of specialised knowledge, which is transmitted to those earning the privilege of it with great ceremony as they earn the trust of this knowledge. The authority tribal elders have is not authoritarian. It is instead bound in respect, with these people earning their place, i.e. a specialised and learned voice, through acts of duty to their community. This responsibility to kin and country is held intact by what Wensing, quoting Burnt, 1992, page 46, describes as the most complex system of kinship known to humanity, Wensing, 1999, page 10. Australian Indigenous have a special relationship to country. Seeing a responsibility for stewardship over lands and water, preserving and renewing country, which owns them and not vice versa. This connection to country is both physical, enacted through management, and spiritual. Wensing, 1999, page 7 and 11. These societal structures are what Grill, 2005, describes as authoritative, i.e. earned via trust, two, inviting a mutual expression of needs, and three, adheres to healthy boundaries with the goal of autonomous and self-actualised community members. Grill, 2005, page 179. 
Tonkinson, 2015, describes kinship groups as being composed of 15 to 25 people, bound into communal functioning that is strongly dependent upon empowered self-regulation of individuals, lacking formal and punitive institutions. Colonisation of Australia has had a demonstrably traumatic impact on First Nations people, marked by both physical and cultural genocide, starting with the initial front wars, including the Tasmanian genocide of 1802 to 1876, Bathurst Massacre 1824, Cape Grim Massacre 1828, Fremantle Massacre 1830, Convincing Ground Massacre 1833 to 1834, and the list goes on and on, in which at least 4,000 Indigenous, sorry, 40,000 Indigenous Australians were killed, according to Reynolds 2013. Initial fleets would have also brought with them disease, most notably smallpox. Hunter, 2014, page 86, concedes that Indigenous mortality from disease varied from place to place, but as a rule of thumb, wiped out 95% of Indigenous populations. The scale of disease colonialists brought simply did not exist in Indigenous societies, as they had been bred through holding animals in captivity and the destruction of nature, according to the World Economic Forum 2020. The colonial experience saw many Indigenous persons taken as slaves for white landowners and rape and the birthing of mixed-race children were rife. Aborigines continued to have no legal rights until the 1967 referendum, before which time they were subject to multiple forms of violence and were legally and socially excluded from many activities, according to Moore 2014, page 125. Compounding these traumas is the lack of sovereignty over culturally sacred land, which has instead been deforested, mined and converted into agriculture at massive environmental cost. For example, 40% of Australia's forests have been lost since colonisation by 2012, according to Bradshaw. Loss of culture became a real threat as well, with the speaking of language outlawed well into the 1960s at schools, The Guardian, 18th January 2019. Further, government policy of assimilation saw a generation of mixed-race children forcibly removed from their king groups and taken to re-education camps on missions from 1937 through to 1969, learning how to be white in order to allow what was termed as social Darwinism to run its course, according to Sherwood 2013, page 32 to 33. These traumas have impacted Indigenous peoples intergenerationally. Health-wise, these communities will continue to die from preventable diseases of poverty, otitis media, rheumatic fever and heart disease, leprosy, tuberculosis and trachoma, according to our Fessa 2011, page 3. The burden of disease on Indigenous populations has been described as two and a half times greater than for non-Indigenous populations in Australia by AIDA 2009, page 1, as quoted by Sherwood 2013, page 30. These traumas and loss of culture have also led to massive Indigenous incarceration, constituting 27% of Australian inmates, despite composing only 2-3% of Australia's population, according to the Australian Law Reform Commission 2018. Suicide, family violence and alcohol and drug misuse. The typically low socioeconomic status of Indigenous people has provided a further limitation on the amount of exercise or access to nutritional or culturally appropriate food that they have access to. 
In fact, Indigenous persons have also been socially undermined, today carrying the stigma of being doll bludgers, alcoholics, drug addicts and criminals by wider society. Institutionalised racism still affect access to education, health and other forms of social participation, according to Alwafessa 2011, page 4, with very little access to their own educational structures based around culture, according to Fugati et al. 2017. According to the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, Articles 3, 4 and 5, all recognise a right for Indigenous peoples to self-determination in governance and cultural life and development. The 2017 Uluru Statement from the Heart was the result of 200 delegates of Indigenous elders gathering in the Northern Territory to compose a roadmap forward for Indigenous peoples, for which the principle of self-determination was central, according to Flier and Judd, to 2017. In it, requests for treaty and Indigenous voice to Parliament via the Makarata Commission and the right to self-determination were laid out. The statement has since spawned a social movement for voice, treaty and truth. Voice refers to the right of Indigenous people for their own self-sustaining modes of governance, enabling protection of land, language and culture, as well as input into national policy. Born 2016, page 4, Clear and Judd 2019, page 4. Treaty, and Australia is the only Commonwealth country without one with its First Nations peoples, is envisaged as providing a mechanism for resolving tensions of land ownership and cultural sovereignty. Plie and Judd, 2019, page 8. Lastly, truth-telling demands an acknowledgement of the bloodshed that White Australia was founded on. Flair and Judd, 2019, page 7. Such truth-telling forms the foundation for community healing of intergenerational trauma and enables a just societal transformation. Voice, Treaty and Truth was the theme, the theme of 2018 and 2019 NAIDOC week, showing its resonance for the entire diverse stratum of Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander communities. It is a theme that has been taken up by Reconciliation New South Wales, the Diversity Council of Australia, amongst many other secular advocacy organisations. There is also a social framework on Facebook which posts advocacy and organises events for this issue and is followed by 2,716 people as of the writing of this article. However, despite the resonance with Indigenous people, Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull rejected in it in 2017, and new Prime Minister Scott Morrison again rejected it in 2018, saying that it was an attempt to create a third chamber of parliament, after which this movement disappeared from political consideration without parliamentary review or any promise by Australian leaders to further consider the proposals suggested within it. According to the ABC News, 27th of October 2017, and The Guardian, 26th of September 2018. There are many concerns for returning self-determination of country and culture to Indigenous peoples. Number one, their way of life is seen as Stone Age and incompatible with the modern way of living. Two, questions persist of how country will be managed and mechanisms to intervene if management is poor. And three, concerns with the internal morality of tribal life. Number four, Indigenous people have already lost too much culture to revitalise it. And lastly, Indigenous persons only compose 3% of Australia's populations and so are not a large enough population to justify having their own coinciding social societal structures. Most of these concerns are grounded in fear. They could be resolved through cultural awareness education, further frameworks to protect the rights of nature, independent of ownership, 
Indigenous-led endorsement of global United Nations frameworks regarding human rights and for investment to be made in strengthening the resilience of culture and language that still exists before these traditions are lost forever. Arguments could also be made for the need for colonialist culture to throw off their own structures to listen and learn from Indigenous ways, thereby magnifying the impact of this small population. Not one of these anxieties provides compelling evidence for one culture to remain dominant over another, particularly when the dominant one is so fraught with its own traumas. Voice, treaty and truth provides a solid template for what reconciliation could look like in Australia. Current investments in restoring culture, resilience and self-determination to First Nations people would transform into future assets with regards to how countries managed in the future on concepts of equity, compassion and responsibilities to land and kin. Such a future will help to strengthenize westernized institutions and frameworks by demanding that they be pluralistically just. According to Bourne, 2016, page 7, the alternative is to culturally double down, give lie to Australia as a social democracy and continue a legacy of genocide and ecocide with the powers of the state used for authoritarian suppression and not for democratic protection. Fundamentally, the entirety of Australian society could benefit from the restoration of a culture that operates without trauma to its own people or the environment it inhabits. We could learn from these people and in doing so, not only save them, but ourselves and the planet we inhabit.